guys, Psychology Nerds, and welcome back to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, one of your hosts, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, chair of the UW-Green Bay Psychology Program, Dr. Georgina Wilson-Dungess. How's it going, G? It is going great. You know, um, since our last podcast episode uh, that dropped earlier in February, I've been using the same awesome Zoom background for all meetings, like trying to create community like we were talking about in our last podcast. And I have to tell you, it is working. I, I am creating community all over the world. You would be so impressed. So I thought I'd just have to share that. <laughs> Nicely done. It, it it was brought up one of the many meetings we were just talking off, off uh, before we started about how many meetings I've been in today. In one of those, you were there and people did, in fact, bring up your background at one point during the meeting. So there you go. You should describe it for people so they know what it is. Absolutely. Well, it'll be in the promo pick for the for this episode. Yep. However, it is like a beautiful blue sky with uh, snow and ice covered birch trees it's lovely. So check it out in the promo pic on social media. You know, what's funny about that is that I have seen that background many, many times. For some reason, it didn't occur to me that that was that those were snow covered, which of course they are, but I just sort of see them in some sort of flowery white light sort of way. This like is going to encourage- tree situation. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you lived in like Dr. Seuss's world <laughs> and you were just <laughs> sharing that. No. Yeah. Wow. So that is it. I think it's that the rest of it looks very springy to me for some reason. And so um, I just associate winter with gray skies and this is blue skies. Yes, it is my positivity and actions. So there nice. you go. Well, I'm so pumped for our episode today because we are like um, coming back to it. And I feel like we started off our fall uh, series with our special guest today. And so we're starting off our spring series with our special, with the same special guest. So tell us a little bit about our guest today, Ryan. Yeah. So we have got a super, super great guest today. She is a returning guest, as you pointed out. She was with us once last semester. Um, and she's going to talk about perseverance and how we can build that quality in kids. She has a PhD in Educational Psychology, Cognitive and Developmental Sciences from UW-Milwaukee. She researches deaf identity development, and when she's not doing that, she's kept busy by her two young sons. She enjoys swimming, book clubs, learning languages, and travel. It's Dr. McRae Hustings. How's it going, McRae? It's going fantastic. Thanks for having me back. Oh, thanks so much for being here. So, we, um, we, we, we pitched a topic to you just a few weeks ago, said, hey, we want to talk about perseverance and how to build that quality in kid. It was sort of rooted in some, some uh, an article I saw online, actually. Um, and so let's get to it. How, how, how would you like to start when it comes to, uh, I mean, maybe we start by defining perseverance uh, for people. What does it mean? Uh, and and how, do, how, do, how do we know when, when our kids have it? I was really excited when you mentioned that it would be perseverance because that's kind of one of my personal mantras. Actually, if you read the dedication of my dissertation, it says to my children, persevere, my darlings, because Aww. to me, grad school was all about perseverance. And there was just <laughs> always another hurdle and another deadline and another stressor. And you just had to keep taking small steps towards this ultimate goal. And you had to do it for years. <laughs> so that to me was you know, my mantra for years throughout grad school. Um, so it was interesting to prepare for this talk to be focusing more on how to instill it in our children instead of just getting ourselves through academia, but looking at how we can help grow this in children was um, a, 
an exciting conversation for me to have. So yeah, perseverance is similar to like grit and this continuing to move forward, take steps despite obstacles and setbacks and to keep having that passion to work towards long-term goals and keep taking those steps uh, without giving up and failing. Um, well, failing along the way plenty, but continuing to mm -hmm. move forward. Okay. Is it different from, I, I, I wonder this often, um, perseverance versus grit versus resilience. Uh, are those things different? And the answer is they probably are, but in small ways, but to what degree mm -hmm. are those things different? Yeah, they definitely hang together. Um, grit is usually defined as having both passion and perseverance. So perseverance would be an element of grit. So you have this drive, motivation to keep working towards something and you behaviorally keep taking those steps towards it. So they you know, definitely work together. And both of those things predict resilience. So this end outcome of bouncing back from things because you've been taking these steps and having that passion. So they definitely all cooperate together leading towards positive outcomes um, and are all elements of that. So Ryan referred to like a really brief article, like a summary article in popular media uh, that, that he had run across and um, Michelle Borba is the scientist who uh, was talking about this concept and her work um, from, from what I read um, showed that perseverance is likely one of the most important skills that sets kids apart from, um, from others. Uh, and she also called it a, a soft skill. So I would love for you to like talk maybe in general about that finding, but also what's, what's up with soft skill? <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Well, stepping back then for what Michelle Borba's kind of you know, trajectory has been, she's worked on several things with um, promoting, well, good outcomes for kids, but she'd been doing a lot of interviews with adolescents and teenagers these last 10 years or so, mostly before the pandemic and everything, of course, has become worse since the pandemic. But um, over and over again, she was having these interviews with students that were uh, what she called these strivers that were working so hard to be top of their class, get the best grades, get into college and how that was very much their focus. And that in these interviews, they would say like, yeah, all we do is work towards these tests and we don't know how to be human. We don't have, no one's taught us that we're these, we just feel empty. We don't have those human skills to know how to actually have relationships with people and respond to conflict and failures and setbacks. We just know how to try to take a test. And like we have as a society and as parents overemphasized this striving nature to be top of the class, high SAT score, things like that, without teaching basic character skills. Um, and that's what she's identified as she actually identified seven different character traits that she thinks is what's lacking for these kids. Um, that's making them feel so empty inside and not have those resources. So perseverance is one of those along with things like self-confidence and empathy and optimism and uh, integrity. There's a bunch of different elements that she goes into um, and perseverance is one that she really sees as being part of this setting you apart from a student who's gonna continue to, to be resilient and bounce back and move towards goals or giving up. Um, and there's various elements of why, um, but she just really sees that these are things she focuses on because parents can start teaching them. These are not things that you have to be born with or you have or don't have, or you're out of luck. It's things that it's up to parents to actually actively instill in their kids. So her work is usually very like action oriented, like here are 10 steps to work on, try this at dinner every night, you know, and tips to help 
foster that and fill that bucket that's making these kids feel so empty. And that article for listeners is is in um, CNBC. It's titled Parenting Expert, colon, the number one soft skill that predicts kids' success more than IQ and how to teach it. Uh, and it's it's an interesting article. It provides like 10 or so, very, or nine very specific steps on, on what to address. Uh, I like that a lot. It's a, we'll, we'll include it with the show notes here. I'm curious, so uh, to what degree, or I wonder, is is any element of this innate? Is any element of perseverance something that people are, quote unquote, born with or something that they might have a predisposition to? She certainly in her work is minimizing that or ignoring that element of it to really focus on the action pieces for it um, and just saying we're not born with it. And she highly focuses on parents modeling of behaviors. So for each of her chapters that go over these seven strengths that she's identified, it starts out with, okay, parent, look at yourself. You know, how important is this trait to you? How much are you doing this trait? What, how can you improve that to model it for the child? And then there's a lot of like talking to the child and identifying when you're seeing that trait in yourself, the child, others, really like labeling it, talking about it real specifically, really intentionally. So instead of just assuming that they're picking these things up, which we're, we, the data is showing that they're not picking them up. So like more specifically, you know, like some research she mentioned was that empathy has gone down like 58% at like college freshmen over the last 30 years. So this huge drop in empathy and a huge, like, huge rise in narcissism that went along with that. So like focusing on like, you have to actually intentionally be, you know, growing these traits that you want to see in, in your kids. So not assuming that they're there by birth and genetics are going to provide that for you, but you need to do some work on that. That is like simultaneously inspirational and terrifying as a parent, you know, yes. like, uh, and I, I wonder, you know, like we're not the only adults in kids' lives. And so I, I'm wondering if there are others uh, outside of parents, or or if you are are not in a a family where parents are um, readily available to you as a child, are there like teachers or other adults who could uh, serve in that same sort of role? For sure. Um, she also references there was that large study, I think the longitudinal study of like 40 years that took place in Kauai Island, um, where they followed kids, most of whom had very traumatic and difficult upbringings, and then tracked them into adulthood to see how everybody turned out. And about a third of the population turned out you know, fully functioning, caring, responsible adults, despite all the traumas. And then they went back to review, like, what were the factors that predicted these positive outcomes? And like the first thing that comes through is they all had a significant adult figure, did not need to be a parent. They had some person who was their champion, some teacher, coach, parent, you know, whomever, some adult figure. So a lot of times it comes up that to, the recipe for success was having, you know, this adult figure in your corner, you know, being your champion and, learning how to use these skill sets. I wonder about classmates too, or, or peers and, and the impact that they might have um, either in, in positive ways or negative ways. Is that something that she describes? She talks about the role of peers, especially when looking at like curiosity and kind of getting excited and passionate about things like get out of kids way, you know, let them get together and be collaboratively learning and trying to, you know, instead of being competition for each other, which is kind of the framework 
that comes from if we're just striving for the highest score and top ranking than your classmates or your competition. But instead of that being like bringing each other's assets together, we're learning from each other. We're all better off from having learned from each other, you know, and that more collaborative approach, more excited peers together instead of pitting them against each other um, was especially present in the curiosity section for her. That made me think about like the, the new, newer process of ungrading uh, mm -hmm. in classes where uh, trying to remove the competition to get an A, um, but mm -hmm. instead um, having the class collaboratively um, come up with rubrics or ways to which to evaluate and then having people self-evaluate and then evaluate in teams. Uh, and it seems to me that uh, when I think about perseverance, I always think about a race, like for some reason, like the perseverance to, to run the race, but it's not like perseverance to win the race. It's the perseverance to run it. Is, <laughs> is there something there um, about the lack of competition and the more collaboration uh, in that metaphor? It's, so the latter part of your sentence, I would put a pin in because the first part of what you said made me think of, and not just like running a race, I was thinking like working through a corn maze where you're going to keep hitting these dead ends and, you know, failures and things that didn't work out. And instead of finding that frustrating, giving up, like, well, that's it. that wasn't the right way. Let's turn. What's my turnaround plan? Try something else. Like, okay, what did I learn about the problem from that failure? Um, I'm not sure I can put it together a good thought on the competition piece off the top of my head. <laughs> Ryan, what do you think? <laughs> well, yeah, I was actually wondering, it's related, but I, I was wondering if, if perseverance is ever bad, like, is ever, is it ever a bad trait um, to, to, is it, is it possible that someone could be trying too hard to persevere and that actually quitting would be the better option? Well, it first makes me think of that quote of the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. But then it makes me also think of the quote of everything seems impossible until it's done, you know, that you have to keep trying and everything is the small movements. So, I mean, the, the goal, you need to have realistic goals and, mm -hmm. you know, worthy goals, the goals that make sense. You know, if your goal is to be invisible tomorrow, then maybe give up on that plan. But, you know, if you have realistic worthwhile goals, you know, even if it seems impossible, taking those steps and even as you go, you might redirect your goal and change and adapt as you go and learn new things. So the goal doesn't have to stay stagnant, but just right. moving towards that improvement, always a step closer to something. So anecdotally, one of the reasons why I was, I was wondering is because, so I have a child who I consider to be full of grit in, in all sorts of ways and who, who works very, very hard on things. And I have a very clear memory when he was when he was very young of him trying to get past a, a video game level and just not being able to, just being stuck. And he it was getting so frustrated and he was just, he was sitting over on the couch and you would hear him like every two minutes just start to cry. <laughs> and <laughs> And, you know, trying to encourage him to maybe take a little break or say, hey, this isn't, it's just not working right now, you know, and him just not being willing to give up and then even getting frustrated with me asking him to, to give up. So just trying to, to think through, I mean, there are times, like you said, I mean, I, I could, I could work the rest of my life to try and dunk a basketball. 
and it's <laughs> not going to happen, right? It, it doesn't, and so it does not matter the degree to which I try to persevere. The smart move is to give up. Is there ever, a, you know, it, so it sort of lends itself. How do you know, I guess, when those goals are unrealistic? How do you know when those, when something it truly is impossible versus just seems impossible? And I'm sure it would take a while to figure that out because it maybe isn't impossible for you to dunk. I don't know, <laughs> but you it, might. It at is. Some point I want to clarify that. Your knees. <laughs> yeah. At some point, you might want to decide you want to be able to get so many three pointers in a row, like shift your goal. Um, or, you know, the child struggling with video game might be time to like, maybe there's an element we don't know about this piece, like good old Google, how to beat this level. There might be you don't have a tool in your toolbox you're supposed to have yet because you missed a step on level four or something. You know? So like, let's make sure we are have all the tools we need in place to move forward or we're not gonna be able to move forward. Well, that, okay. So there, I think there's something really interesting in what you just said about the, the idea that, that perseverance or that continuing, it, it doesn't necessarily mean continuing on the same trajectory. Right. Mm -hmm. That it, that like what, what you just described about finding the tool you need or you can try a different approach or something like that, mm -hmm. that it perseverance isn't necessarily just sort of banging your head against the same wall and hoping to get through it. That at a certain point you can say, you know what, I'm just going to go around this wall. Right. And mm -hmm. and that there's something important there. Especially if we're talking about these young kids who are, you know, working so hard towards a certain, you know, college path or something, they don't even really know what is going to excite them in the future yet. So, you know, if they're just so focused on, I have to get into this program at this school, as they're going along, <clears throat> they might realize, I'm actually really excited about this other class I took and this other, you know, maybe I want to actually try something else with my life and being able to follow those different passions, which, you know, kind of gets back to Barbara's work where she starts with like step one is get to know what your kids' strengths are. Like, what is it that actually accepts, excites them and what is their strength? Instead of like you setting goals of what you think is important for them to strive for, but what is it that is actually their passion and help them follow that and follow your child, let them direct that. And you'll start to see those things that they don't, you know, they can focus on forever and they can just be so entrenched in like that state of flow when they're so into it which makes me think of my son who, you know, academics is not his strong suit. He's got, you know, autism and several learning issues that it's, everything is very difficult. But if he gets an idea about a project, nothing will stop him. And he wakes up every morning with a project in his mind and he will just go and do that project for hours. Last night, he just all of a sudden had this busy look in his eye and he's like, I need to go make a box that on each wall of the box, there's a different habitat that lizards might live in. Do you have any sand that I can glue for the desert? I've got enough leaves for the forest. And he just <laughs> has this idea that he has to go do, and you just need to get out of his way <laughs> and let him go do his project. And he is learning and just, so just letting them figure out what those passions are. And then, you know, focusing your feedback on like, you are a creator, you are a designer, you are a builder. And instead of like, you're so intelligent or whatever, like, look at you creating that thing that you were so excited about. And, changing how you respond to those things. This makes me um, think of one of the most challenging concepts. I think when I was parenting my kids when they were younger is the, the lawnmower parent, you know, like that you will clear the path for them to have a straightaway easy life uh, and 
that the urge to do that was so strong for me. Like, I, I'm, I'm just like, I'm going to let them go and do, you know, like learn from their mistakes, but I'm going to make sure that there are no mistakes there to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what about that? Does that harm that, perseverance? Yes, that is definitely all over Barbara's work. She is very against the fix it parent who wants to, you know, make them have no difficulties or fix any difficulties they might have and how that is sending the message that I don't think you could handle this I don't think you could fix this on your own or cope with this and you know a line from the book that I had to like write down for myself is I will not do anything for my child that they can do for themselves because that is so hard for me especially my eldest kid he's he's always just been very passive so I would dress him for him and you know he wasn't the kid that I want to wear this shirt today he was like whatever so when he went to like 4k the teacher's like he needs to be able to be dressing himself like oh okay (laughs) my bad (laughs) it's just so much faster and easier for me to just do it like okay, I do way too much for him. And like the back up, back up. You you are perfectly capable of doing that. It might be slow and awkward or on the wrong feet, but I need to just back off and let you do that. Or I'm telling you that you can't do it, that you don't have the agency to do it, that you're not able. And that is not going to lead to perseverance. If I'm telling you, you can't do anything without me hovering, doing it for you. So I need to work on that. <laughs> Same. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Hey, if we can run through, uh, we've got this list of nine steps that are in that article or nine different things. And I don't think we can, we'll go through all of them, but I'm curious um, if we can just pick a handful here. I, one of the, the things she writes about is fight factors that discourage kids. And then she highlights a couple of them. Fatigue, it's the acronym FAIL, fatigue, anxiety, identity solely based on fast achievements and learning expectations that don't match abilities. She took some liberties with the acronym there at the end. I mean, <laughs> she's very acronym heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so he shoved around a few of them. Like, I, I can't remember all these. Um, yes. So for the fail, the F fatigue was, you know, kids need sleep. And, if, you know, with all the pressures and strep, stress, especially look at adolescents and teens who are almost all sleep deprived, focusing on making sure they're getting enough rest and, you know, sc- good hygiene with the screens off before bedtime and things like that. Um, or they're not going to have their best focus and attention and ability to function. Um, for anxiety, that was focusing on like adolescents who feel that their parents' love is contingent on the scores, which I'm sure it is not, but the message is kids are internalizing of, you know, I walk in the door and they ask what grade I got, you know, not did I get along with my peers today? So making kids feel more of that unconditional love, regardless of test scores and um, grades and things like that, so that they don't feel that anxiety of if I fail, they're not going to love me. Um, identity based solely on fast achievements. So focusing more um, on the effort kids are putting in, not just well, how was the grade, like what did you learn? And oh, did you read any interesting books? And did you get to partner with someone and not just that score, that end result score, focusing on the process and the growth. Um, and then learning expectations that don't match abilities. Um, she talked about how if your expectations for the kids should be um, just a little beyond their reach, if it's too hard, um, they're not going to be able, they'll be stressful and cause anxiety. And if it's too easy, it'll be boredom, which reminds me of Vygotsky's zone of proximal de- development that you want to be teaching just beyond their reach. She talked about like a rubber band. You want to always be stretching your kids across all these domains that she's recommending, always stretching them a little bit, a little bit, a little bit farther, a little bit farther, not so far that it snaps, but always trying to stretch it just that little next bit farther. So working in that right zone where your expectations aren't too high or too low that they're bored. Yeah, and that stretching part, um, uh, she also talks about uh, like stretching their focus 
Uh, and I thought that that was really interesting. And I don't think you have to be a kid to follow these things. Yeah. I was thinking about, you know, like um, she recommends like setting a timer for a specific task, like let's say like a, a paper that I'm supposed to be writing. Let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's just say that. And uh, like you set a timer, like I am going to write for 15 minutes straight. And then when the timer goes off, you work for two more minutes mm -hmm. past the time, like force yourself to stretch past that like limited time, like go mm -hmm. the extra mile kind of in the race analogy. I don't know why mm -hmm. I'm so race focused today, yeah. <laughs> but I think your notifications off as a sign, <laughs> yeah. whether it's like yourself, your like self-control or focus time, like see what the kid can do or what you can do. <laughs> What's the comfort? Like maybe the kid can focus for three minutes. Well now try for three minutes and 10 seconds and try that for a few days. And now three minutes and 20 seconds and just keep stretching, adding, you know, how long they can delay gratification or be patient or how long they can focus on that thing they're reading or what we're doing. <laughs> just adding, just do a little bit more, just a little bit more. There's one, um, I saw somebody else was interviewing her and they had done the math and said that if you got 1% better every day, just 1% better what you're doing, um, by the end of the year, you'd be 37 times better at that skill. So just making these tiny little itty bitty improvements every single day just keeps on growing and growing. And you will not look back and regret those little improvements at the end of the year. That is the, the premise of the book, Atomic Habits, oh. uh, which I'm I'm reading right now. And I'm going to look up the author before I end up. Uh, I can picture the, the cover yeah. of that book. It, it, yeah. it is just side note. I mean, a relevant side note. It is a fascinating book with, with tons in there uh, that I really, really like. But um, <laughs> and I'm going to find out the name before the end here. I, I was thinking, <laughs> though. Um, about that that stretching because I think Georgina you said something about you know the, these are things that adults can do too and so the last time the three of us were together I think I mentioned that I've been trying to learn Spanish and um I still am and I'm I've still I changed my approach since then but I still am um but one of the the things that happened since then is that it got really hard and like it it hit a point where it wasn't coming easy to me anymore. And it was, and I actually think I felt for that moment that the the rubber band had been stretched just a little bit too far where I wasn't having success and I wasn't having fun, you know? And when you're doing something that is largely voluntary, if, if it doesn't feel fun to you, of course, at a certain point, you're going to throw in the towel, you know? And, and so it actually took me really sort of actively saying to myself, no, this is an important goal that you set for yourself. You need to figure this out, right? And if that means dedicating more time to figuring out whatever this problem is, why, or changing your approach, et cetera, you, you need to do that. But it is important, I think, for people this is easier for adults to do than it is for kids, I think, but to sit down and actually have that conversation with themselves uh, and mm -hmm. think about that, the, the degree to which that difficulty in, is interfering. And it's also important for adults to remember that about their kids, like that what might be more important than anything is them figuring out, like feeling those successes, experiencing those successes, but knowing that those successes came because they worked real hard to get there and not mm -hmm. just because uh, it was it was easy. And right when you're at that point where it's feeling too hard, 
something is causing that stumbling, whether that's you have too much on your plate right now, or the workload is actually different. And like, if you can identify a, and help your child identify what the stumbling block is right there, you can maybe shift your focus to be focusing just on that. I also, I've been learning Italian and I also just hit a part that like, all of a sudden these lessons are too hard all of a sudden. And I realized that they're throwing just a whole bunch of new vocabulary that they didn't like step-by-step -step teach me. So I actually keep putting in Spanish words because I don't know the Italian word and that's just not working it turns out. So like, <laughs> I need to <laughs> I need to just make some flashcards and learn the days of the week and the months of the year and things instead of just putting Spanish in there. Um, so I need to like change how I'm studying for a little bit and like quick build up that vocab bank that they keep throwing at me like, here's this long sentence and in it, it's gonna say September. Well, I don't know how to write that. So I'm gonna get this question wrong, you know? So I need a quick change how I'm focusing. And she gives, uh, Barbara gives the example of, she had a music teacher that would make you play a song front to end. And if you make any mistakes, you stop and have to start over. Hmm. And she would get so stressed out because there's this part she would get goof up on and she would feel it coming and the pressure would be building and she'd have to start over and it was just killing her love of music. And then her next music teacher said like, oh, you know, that bar is tricky for you. Let's just practice that bar for a while and just change how we're approaching it. Spend some fun, lighter time, just getting to your really comfortable with that bar and then go back and try the hole again. You know, I go through a whole pack of flashcards with my kids. There'll be 10 he doesn't know for sight words. That's all that we have to do tomorrow is just those 10 words now, like just work on those ones that were the sticking point. So we just like change the approach till you get through that thing that you're stuck on. My approach is uh, oh jeez. <laughs> My approach with flashcards was always uh was always that I would go back three. If I got one wrong, I would go back three. And so because I didn't want to go back to the beginning, but I I admit I did want to punish myself a little bit for getting it wrong. And so it was like a I actually still do this. When I'm working on learning students' name in class, uh, if I ever mm -hmm. screw one up, I go back three and start from there. Um yes. the the um Okay, so let's talk about what does it mean to chunk tasks? I like that one. Um, it's similar to the, the idea of, you know, stop trying to practice that whole song, you know, and not make it so overwhelming. So, you know, one example is I actually just had, you know, an IEP meeting for my son's testing accommodations. And I'm like, well, how are you going to accommodate him? And they said, instead of giving him the whole page of math problems, we're going to photocopy it differently. So there's just one line on a page and then I give him the next page that has the next line on it. So he's never looking at this whole page of overwhelming math. I'm like, well, that makes sense. And that's actually reminds me what my husband would always tell me when we were homeschooling him, I would have five different books and a couple of games and learning tools on the table because I would sit down and think of what do I all want to cover today <laughs> and I would have it all at the table because that's how my brain would work and he would come in like ah, no there's no way I can do all of that my husband would be like just have one thing on the table at a time like oh okay yeah so just breaking it down into doing focus on just the one piece don't be overwhelmed by all of it and like if you have five homework assignments tonight, maybe make a post-it note for each one and just think about the one and rip that one off and you get that satisfaction of ripping it off, doing the hardest one first so that the stress is gone and everything's easier from there. Um, so just not being overwhelmed by the whole, just take it bit by bit. Have you read or seen the movie, The Martian? Yes. Because I, so I, I love this movie as a metaphor. I, I love it for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I love it is a, a metaphor for addressing problems and a, this idea that you just, you, you, yeah, you have to think about the long-term goal, which is to get home, but you have to think about it in terms of all the little steps along the way. And that, 
that brings me great comfort when I'm facing a big problem uh, where, mm-hmm. and I sort of will even say to myself, okay, we've got to Martian our way through this, right? Like what, <laughs> what is, what is mm-hmm. the, what is the immediate thing that we need to do? We're going to worry about that other stuff later. Like those are problems yeah. for once we've solved this. And mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing how much more comfortable that feels to me. Mm-hmm. That's funny. I just sent you an email yesterday that said, this is not mission critical. Yes. We can do this next week. And I, I, I think to myself that I, I was marshaling it and I yes. didn't even know it. And I very much appreciated that email. By the way. Um, yeah. Permission to ignore. <laughs> For now. That's exactly it. I, I wonder if we could talk about one more of the, the tips before we end up today. And I, I loved uh, the the tip is to correct stumblers, and I love the the term stumblers. It's really like uh, another word for barriers. Like, uh, but I love that uh, she doesn't call them barriers, but rather like something that you made it over it. It just wasn't great. It wasn't graceful, and it wasn't you didn't clear the hurdle completely. You a little bit stumbled, but you made it. Um, but maybe next time when you go back, it, can you identify some of the things that tripped you up that mm-hmm. you could do better next time? That's a much more um, forward-thinking way of um, getting over barriers, I guess. Do you have any thoughts about that? I bet we're going to put hurdles in your race now, aren't we? Now hurdles, <laughs> hurdle jumping. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yeah, that certainly ties into like the idea of her music piece that she was getting stumbled by that certain part, you know, so, you know, studied afterwards, you know, focus on that piece, get through it, smooth that part, identify what was hard about that part, you know, accept it, forgive yourself for that and move on um, without it deterring your moving forward, not quitting and giving up. But like, yeah, that is a hard part for me, whether that is, you know, the, whatever basketball jump he's trying to do, or the, you know, days of the week for me, whatever it is, like, okay, that's the hard part. This is where I need to, like, maybe approach it from a different angle, and, you know, understand that I can still move past it. It doesn't stop me. I still move on through it. It's just not necessarily pretty. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I appreciated that, like, as um, a person with a child who's a perfectionist, I really appreciated that vocabulary and wish I would have had it when they were younger, like to be able to say like, oh, that was a, that was a stumbling one for, for you, but you know what? You did it. Mm -hmm. Like that, that it's not focusing on it being perfect, but that you achieved the goal that you wanted. And Michelle Borba talks about like having family mantras and that's going to be so specific to a family. Like for your family, for a perfectionist, maybe you need to be like, it's good enough. Like it's good enough. Maybe needs to be the mantra sometimes in my family where we don't have enough of that perfectionism. It might be like, just try, just try, like <laughs> just start trying, <laughs> you know? So, but like, so identifying what the strengths are for the people in the family and what are the family goals? Like, who do we want to be? How do we want people to describe us? Make that your family mantra, have signs up on your fridge and stuff, or say it so often that it becomes internalized as the, the child's inner monologue. Then that's who I am too. I'm someone who just tries, or I'm someone who's like, good enough, keep moving. Like, you know, when if you just keep saying these things over and over again as a family mantra, it will become part of who they see themselves. You know, I have integrity, I'm honest, whatever it is. Um, so practicing saying these things over and over again helps. 
I've, I've seen versions that. of that. Uh, do the hard thing is another mm -hmm. one that people often say, or, or um, I can do hard things is another one that I hear people share often as well. Mm -hmm. Excellent. McCray, any final thoughts here? I have a, a two things I need to say uh, that, to close some tabs from earlier, but um, but first, anything uh, anything you want to finish up on? Um, I just feel, you know, as a parent of young kids, I feel very inspired to really enhance uh, our dinner time conversation, which, you know, lots of research talks about how important family dinner time is. And, you know, we always usually focus on like, what was the best part of your day? What was the hard part of your day? But um, there are so many more ideas of things like, you know, when did you see someone do something kind today? Or when did you do some keep trying when it was hard or whichever one of the, you know, these character strengths you're working in just intentionally you can have a stack of index cards of questions that you can just regularly make part of modeling that's important to you modeling that you see it you know when you see it in them i saw you just share that and that was so kind you know i saw that that was hard for you but you kept going that's perseverance i'm just you know i'm so glad you kept trying even though that was hard not just what grade did you get on that today you know but having these conversations to show this is what's important and this is what we want to talk about um so it really just inspired a lot of dinner time talk for me Nice. I like that a lot. That is great. Mm -hmm. So I have two pieces of business that I want to talk about real quick related to our conversation. First of all, I looked up alternatives to the phrase soft skills because <laughs> I've never met anybody who likes the phrase soft skills. Um, however, I don't like many of the alternatives either. <laughs> um, so the, the, there's, there's an article I came across, 17 experts weigh in on the term soft skills. None of them liked it, but their alternatives were things like people skills or communication skills. But my read is that we're talking about things that are broader than just those. Um, I did see one person refer to um, essential skills, which uh, I didn't mind. Um, so anyways, I think I would say the jury is still out on what we should be calling them. Although one person said, how about we just call them skills? Uh, and so- well out of the mouths of babes, the teenagers and the adolescents being interviewed always just said how to be human, human skills. They don't teach us the human skills. So I like that too. Just, how it, you know, it's stuff we yeah. just need to, to coexist and function and do good at whatever we're doing in life. We need to have these basic character skills. So right. I like human skills. <laughs> I, I like that too. We're going to add that to the list of experts. Um, I'll, I'll send an email after this is done. Um, <laughs> The other thing I wanted to tell people is that the author of Atomic Habits is James Clear. So, uh, and it is it is very good. I mean, it's I, I'm really enjoying it a lot, uh, and it's something I think a lot of people can learn from. So. Is that the one that that mentions like seeing yourself identity as a person who does that habit? I think like, yep. like because I'm a person who swims, and after watching a TED talk or something, that person was like, "No, I'm a swimmer." So that motive, it's more like it's more part of my daily life. Like, of course, I'm going to go swimming. I'm a swimmer. Not like I don't have to, you know, just changing that, reframing it. That just mm -hmm. it's not a thing I do. It's I am this person. You know that that is part of my identity. I loved that. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. It, it speaks to a lot of things that I've I've been thinking about for a long time, and he he puts them into words. Uh, it puts them into a, a nice coherent picture that I I really like a lot. Um, I should preface this: I'm about three fourths of the way through, so who knows? Everything could go off the rails at this. Point. <laughs> <laughs> but the first three fourths are pretty great. Um, and yeah, I think one of the things he talks about is how our habits sort of inform our identities, but our identities inform our habits as well. And so um, he talks about like just people asking themselves, what would a healthy person do right now? And that, that 
that framing things that way sometimes gives you the if, if you identify as a healthy person or if you want to identify as a healthy person then you, you make choices in those moments based on that and so uh, which i i think is interesting and if you see yourself as a person who perseveres, then you will persevere more. Exactly. So works for any of these. Exactly. Excellent. Well, um, let's see. I guess people, I, I want you to know that you can find us at Psych and Stuff on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Those are good places to ask questions. You can request topics for episodes, uh, all sorts of things. Do that. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, uh, YouTube, at Anger Professor. Georgina? I'm at G-E-O-R-J-E-A-N-N-A-W-D, Georgina W-D. Excellent. Thank you all very much. McCray, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. The executive producer is Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick, and our graphic designer is Kimberly Fleece. Special thanks to our guest, McRae. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast, to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, Georgina Wilson-Dungess. Keep being amazing. Music